0: Greetings, everyone. What a pleasure this is to share this time with you during this Feast of Tabernacles. Some of you may be watching this at home because you were not able to attend the feast this year, and hopefully you'll be able to be with us next year. Some of you are perhaps watching this in some small group where you don't have very many live speakers, but whatever your situation, it is certainly a pleasure for me to be here to share this time with you And I hope that you will find this profitable uh, today, this message that I have for your day. I'm not sure which feast this might be for you in terms of the number. Some of you are obviously uh, going to be keeping this for the very first time. And others have been around for decades. For myself, it is uh, my 48th feast. My wife is actually, I think, about 51. And we still find the Feast of Tabernacles a tremendous pleasure. And we look forward to it all year. Today, we're going to see how important these annual occasions are, how the rejection or the neglect of God's festivals leads to disaster, and how the keeping of these days plays a restorative role in the, uh, the worship of the true God. And we're going to see how historically that has been the case. When God brought the children of Israel our forefathers out of the land of Egypt, he immediately began introducing these special days. In fact, they weren't even out of Egypt when they were being introduced. The tenth plague, as we all know, was the Passover, and they had kept the Passover meal, and then the death angel, as we sometimes refer to it, passed through the land, angels of death, as it is described there in uh, the book of Psalms. Uh, but the death angel passed through, passed over the children of Israel, and then they came out of Egypt. They were still in Egypt, though, for seven days because they had to come out. And on the last day of unleavened bread, when they walked through the Red Sea, it was a type of our baptism. They were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And so we find here that the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread were kept while they were still in Egypt, and that was the process of coming out. So he immediately introduced his special days as he was bringing the children of Israel out of sin, out of Egypt. We hardly even need to review this fact, and uh, we also know that... The uh, the next uh, special day was when they came to Mount Sinai and God made a covenant with them. And he gave them the Ten Commandments as their part of the covenant, their agreement. And he said that he would bless them above all people. And so we see another festival right there at the very beginning. All these days were integral to the start of a new nation. Uh, this new nation that God was building, He used these days in a very special way to introduce them to His plan and His purpose and to bring them out of sin into a new, to be a new nation. Now, as part of the Old Covenant, God commanded Israel to keep three great festival seasons. Notice over in Exodus, the 23rd chapter, And verse 14. It says, Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. And he explains that they were to eat no leavening during that time. No leaven was to be there. And then he says, verse 16, "...and the feast of harvest, the first fruits of your labors which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year." So you have the day of Pentecost, then you have the the great harvest of ingathering at the end of the year, the feast of tabernacles uh, season, as it were. He says, "...when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field, three times in the year all your males shall appear before the eternal God." So God expected his people to observe these special days. And what we will see is that when they kept these days, they were on track. When they got off track, one of the first things they did was that they rejected these days. It is evident from uh, the record of Scripture that only during short bursts of time did Israel faithfully observe these God-ordained occasions. And continually they would get away from them and have to come back to them. The evidence seems to indicate that the feasts were kept to some degree uh, during the the reigns of David and Solomon, and yet toward the end of Solomon's reign, they possibly got away from them. It would seem like it, uh, based on the evidence. For example, let's notice in 1 Kings the 11th chapter. 1 Kings 11. We are very familiar with how Solomon had his eyes turned away from God, and the reason was his wives. But as he built monuments to the various gods, uh, we can be certain that Israel drifted away from the right days. Whenever, even modern history has shown us that when you start picking up the wrong uh, worship of God, then you drift away. You, you, it's, it's incompatible. You're going to keep one or the other. So here in First uh, First Kings, the eleventh chapter, verse six, it says, "For it was so when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart away from other gods, or after the gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Eternal, his God, as was the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Eternal, and did not fully follow the Eternal." as did his father David. And so he built high places for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives, who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. And so we see that God was angry with Solomon as a result of this. And then down in verse 11, it says, Therefore the Eternal said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. So we we find that as he got away from God, he picked up all these foreign gods. He began to build monuments to them. His heart was turned away. And we can be fairly certain, although it doesn't say it directly here, that he would have gotten away from the proper worship of the true God during the festivals. Now, we also know from the next chapter that, yes, there was a festival in Jerusalem. And so some of the people were still keeping this Feast of Tabernacles because it is referred to there. And let's just notice this over in the 12th chapter as we see how uh, it turned out that they got away from the worship of the true God. But you can be certain that it was certainly lessened, that it was not uh, kept in the same spirit in the right way, uh, nevertheless. And uh, uh, people would get away from it as Solomon was turning to other gods and obviously would have been picking up the worship of uh, their days and so forth. So here in the 12th chapter, we'll begin in verse 10. We're familiar with how uh, after the death of Solomon that Rehoboam, his son, was to take over the the kingship at that time, and the people came to him and said, look, you know, your father taxed us greatly. Uh, With all of his turning away from God, he began to be more uh, focused on his own grandeur, his own greatness, and what started out as a wonderful reign turned into an oppressive reign toward the end of his life. And so Rehoboam, his son, went to the counselors, the older counselors of David, and they told him to listen to the voice of the people. But he also looked at his friends, his peers, and he turned to them. And it says in verse 10, the young men who had grown up with him spoke to him, saying, Thus you shall speak to this people who have spoken to you, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy but you make it lighter on us. Thus you shall say to them, my little finger shall be thicker than my father's waist. And now, whereas my father put a heavy yoke on you, I will add to your yoke. My father chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scourges or scorpions, as it says in some translations there. So Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam the third day as the king had directed. And he said, come back the third day. And we know the, the end result of this was that the people, uh, in verse 16, all of Israel said, when Israel saw that the king did not listen to them, the people answered the king, saying, what share have we in David? We have no inheritance in the son of De- uh, Jesse. To your tents, O Israel, now see to your own house, O David. And so these ten tribes split off from, uh, from Judah, and they went their own way. And the remainder of First Kings and Second Kings talks about the two separate histories, how sometimes they were at war with each other. And uh, other times they, they may have been allies, but uh, much of the time they were at war with each other. And they had two separate kingdoms, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Now, what was one of the first things that Jeroboam, the leader of the house of Israel, did? What was one of his first acts? Well, we read of it here, down in verse 26. It says, Then Jeroboam built Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim and dwelt there, a little bit north of Jerusalem there. And it says, And he went out from there and built uh, Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. He was insecure, and he was afraid that the people would go back to David or to the house of David, to, to uh, Rehoboam. And so he said, if this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Eternal at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore the king asked advice. And uh, they made he made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. It is burdensome. And how many times do we hear people speak that way? Oh, what a burden these feasts are. It's too difficult. It's too far for you to go. You know, if you're keeping the feast here at home or at your home, not here, but at your home this year, it may be that it is because of sickness, infirmity. Sometimes our our ladies are expecting a baby in the next few weeks, and obviously you you need to stay home for those purposes and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, it might be that you're brand new. This is the first time that you've come across the Feast of Tabernacles and you didn't have time to save up for the feast. And we well understand that. And that is perfectly uh, understandable and fine. And and you should not feel guilty for those things because God doesn't expect you to do something you can't do. But there are others that are perhaps sitting at home keeping, uh, trying to keep the feast in this way uh, listening to this sermon because you haven't properly saved your second tithes or because you just think it's too burdensome, too difficult. Now, again, if you are very elderly, that's understandable, and, and nobody is going to uh, say anything negative that way. But at the same time, we know that there are some people that really ought to be keeping the feast, going up to keep the feast, but for whatever reason, you know, they would have been right there with, with uh, Jeroboam. Jeroboam. Uh, when Jeroboam says, it's too difficult, it's too hard for you uh, to go up there. It's too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which uh, brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he set up one in Bethel and the other he put in Dan. So in the northern part in Dan, if you were up there, you just go up there. If you were in the southern part of, the, uh, of Samaria, the house of Israel, the, the rule there, then you go down here to Bethel. And that kind of short-circuited people going down to Jerusalem. And he made it easy on the people. It reminds me in in Canada uh, that sometimes there are some people that once were with us and... From year to year, they keep a celebration of Christ, a celebration of Thanksgiving. They keep an eight-day period, but it's from weekend to weekend. It makes it nice and easy and short there, and a lot of people just go up for one weekend or the other. Or they may keep the whole time, because this kind of satisfies the people who want to keep a Feast of Tabernacles, but it's not the Feast of Tabernacles. It's not called that, and it is not exactly the same time, but it's, it's around that time but in Canada, Thanksgiving Day is, I think, is the second uh, Monday in October, and so it fits fairly close there, and so oftentimes they'll have a feast of Thanksgiving. And it is a substitute, and it's a corruption, and it's a counterfeit. It is not the same thing. So he set up these gods there, these uh, idols. Now this thing became a sin, verse 30, for the people who went to worship before the one as far as Dan. And then he made shrines on the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not of the sons of Levi. They weren't the ones that God had chosen, but he just set up anybody that wanted to be a minister. And we see that happening in today's world, too. People set themselves up, self-appointed ministers, or maybe a group of people decide that they're going to set up a minister that can minister to them. So then in verse 32... It says, Jeroboam ordained a feast on the 15th day of the eighth month. Notice, like the feast that was in Judah. So, yes, we know that the feast was still kept in Judah, even during the latter time of Solomon's reign. But again, we have to wonder how well it was kept. And how many people kept the feast at that time. But here was a counterfeit. And he said it one month later. And that'd be a little bit convenient because maybe you haven't quite gotten your crops in yet. Uh, maybe the weather's a little bit nicer, uh, especially in that part of the world when it's still hot in early October. So, uh, he said it a month later. And there must have been a reason that he said it a month later, and obviously, I, I think the, the clear implication there would be that, well, you got plenty of time to get your crops in, you don't have to rush, you can get your, you know, all this sort of thing. Made it easy on the people there. And it was like the feast that was in Judah. And he offered sacrifices the, on the altar. So uh, verse 33, he made offerings on the altar, which he had made at Bethel on the 15th day. Notice exactly the same time, except one month later on the 15th day of the eighth month in the month which he devised in his own heart. So this was uh, not something from God, but he devised it in his own heart. You know, we don't have the liberty of just making a time holy or changing the way that God says to keep his feast. Uh, We will see that God is very intent on us keeping his feast exactly the way that he says that they should be kept. Now, what we find here is that the house of Israel never recovered from this apostasy. They never did recover from it. And as a result, they had nothing but trouble and eventually they went into captivity. Now, let's look forward some 200 years. Let's go down uh, from that time 200 years further uh, into history, what happened 200 years later. Well, by this time, Judah was also neglecting God's festivals, and they had fallen into idolatry. Notice this in 2 Kings, the 17th chapter. So here we are in the second... Uh, Book of Kings, the 17th chapter, 19th verse, says also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Eternal their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel which they made. So here it says that Judah was walking in the statutes of Israel which they made. Now, what statutes do we know of that Israel made? Well, we know they had idols in Dan and, and um up in, or down in Bethel, and they had a different feast. So, this would seem to imply, uh, strongly imply, that even Judah was getting caught up in keeping the feast at the wrong time. Uh, they, they certainly were uh, in apostasy against God's law and God's way of doing things. Uh, we don't know all the details of this, but it says they walked in the statutes of Israel, Israel which they made. And Judah also did not keep the commandments of the Eternals. So they forsook the commandments of God, and they took up with the statutes of Israel. It was around this time, however, that there was a restoration to the true worship of God. Uh, we can read of a man by the name of Hezekiah in the 18th, 19th, and 20th chapters of the uh, book of Second Kings. But also, in the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles, the 29th chapter, uh, we also read about this same time, and this same time of restoration, that the children of, of Judah came back to God and began to keep God's festivals. Notice in Second Chronicles 29 and verse 1, it says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was uh, Abijah. Verse 2, he did what was right in the sight of the Eternal according to all that his father David had done. So we find that he is getting back to the time of of David in terms of doing what is right. It says in verse 3, in the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Eternal and repaired them. So note this, it was the first year of his reign and it was the first month. So right there at the very beginning uh, of his reign, he opened up the doors of the house of the eternal and he repaired them. He began to uh, repair the temple there. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the uh, east square. So he brought the, the priests there together, the Levites. And he said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the eternal God of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. It just used it as a storage place, collected dust and who knows what uh, besides dust. They, there was rubbish of all kinds there. <clears throat> For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Eternal our God. They have forsaken Him, have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Eternal, and turned their backs on Him. So this is what uh, Hezekiah recognized as we read there in Second uh, Kings that they had turned their their faces away from God. And Hezekiah saw this, and when he took over the rulership, he began to turn the people back to God immediately. And so he dealt with the leaders, the priests and the Levites, and he called them and he gave them certain instructions here. Now let's pick it up in verse 8. It says, Therefore the wrath of the Lord fell upon Judah and Jerusalem. And this is his, he's explaining this to the Levites. This is why God's wrath was on them. And he had given them to trouble, to destruction, to jeering, as you see with your eyes. For indeed, because of this, our fathers have fallen on the sword. Our sons and daughters and our wives are in captivity. So some of them had been taken into captivity. He says, now it is in my heart, he's still speaking that to the Levites and the priests, it is in my heart to make a covenant with the eternal God of Israel, that his fierce wrath may may turn away from us. And so he says, my sons, do not neglect now, do not be negligent now, for the eternal has chosen you to stand before him, to serve him, and that you should minister to him and burn incense. So he says, my sons, stand up. Do the job that God has given you to do. Now in verse uh, 12, he says, then, uh, then these Levites arose, and it mentions certain ones by name. Verse 15, They gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, and went according to the commandment of the king, at the words of the Eternal, to cleanse the house of the Eternal. And the priests went into the inner part of the house of the Eternal to cleanse it, and brought out all the debris Uh, ...that was found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the eternal. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron, just a little bit east there of where this was. They took it out and apparently uh, uh, burned it or whatever, whatever they did with it at that time. And they began to sanctify on the first day of the month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the eternal... And they sac- uh, sanctified the house of the eternal in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. So when it speaks of the first month of, uh, uh, of uh, Jeremiah's, uh, not Jeremiah, Hezekiah's reign here, it's not speaking necessarily the first month that he was king, but the first month of the year. And so we find that <clears throat> they began on the, the eighth month to clean out that, that inner part of the temple. And they did not finish till the 16th day. Now, for those of us who are familiar with God's festivals, we know that the first month, 14th day, is the Passover. And on the 15th begins the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they were not really ready to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread there at the temple because they didn't finish cleaning that part of it out until the 16th day. So then it says here, <clears throat> uh, we'll skip down to, uh, uh, let's see where we want to pick it up here. Um, we'll pick it up in uh, verse eleven. Now so let's go over to um, to chapter um, thirty and verse one. It says, "Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Eternal at Jerusalem to keep the feast." Uh, to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Now, I skipped over the verse there, but it shows that it was they were going to keep it in the second month. Now, this was allowed by God because in Numbers, the ninth chapter, there were people who came to Moses and said that they weren't clean, they were on a journey, whatever it was, they couldn't keep the Passover. And so Moses went to God and God said that in this particular case where they were eligible to keep it, but were prevented by being in a journey or being unclean or something, that they could keep what is what we call the second Passover. And so that was allowed. Uh, and a, there was no second Feast of Tabernacles. There's nothing in Scripture there. And certainly we shouldn't be keeping the second Passover as just a, a convenient alternative. Uh, no, we should keep the first Passover, but if someone is sick during that time, there is that option to keep the second Passover or uh, you're traveling to the, uh, the the Passover service and there's a big traffic jam and, uh, in other words, you're prevented from keeping it some way uh, legitimately, then there is that second option there. And so we find that that's what they were doing here. And so Hezekiah sends people out to uh, give the call for people to come up to Jerusalem to keep the Passover in the second month as uh, it was allowed there. So we find here in the uh, third, uh, 30th chapter, we'll pick it up in verse 8, it says, So they resolved to make a proclamation throughout all of Israel, from Beersheba to Dan, that's south of Jerusalem, all the way up to Dan, where the house of Israel, uh, the people that, that lived there uh, were, uh, they had not yet gone into captivity. And many of them were still coming down to uh, Jerusalem, or at least some of them were, not many of them, actually that was the problem, but some of them were coming down there. Uh, But most of them were keeping it in the wrong place at the wrong time. And so it says that they should come to keep the Passover of the Lord God of Israel at Jerusalem since they had not done it for a long time in the prescribed manner. Uh, This is something they had gotten away from. Then the runners went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the king and his leaders and spoke according to the command of the king, "'Children of Israel, return to the eternal God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel.'" A time of restoring the true worship of God. And it says, "'He will return to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the king of Assyria. And do not be like your fathers and your brethren who trespassed against the eternal God of their fathers.'" So they gave them up to desolation, as you see. He says, verse 8, Now uh, do not be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the eternal and enter his sanctuary, which he has sanctified forever, and serve the eternal your God, that the fierceness of his wrath may turn away from you. They'd gotten away from worshiping God the way they were supposed to. God's wrath had been upon them. They'd had trouble after trouble. Very difficult time. Assyria was a rising power at that time. And uh, some of them had already gone into captivity. Verse 10, so runners passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh. That's the house of Israel. as And as far as Zebulun. But what did the people do? It says here in the latter part of verse 10, they laughed at them and mocked them. They ridiculed them for wanting to come up and keep the Passover. You know, that's the way it is in this world that the world ridicules and laughs, makes fun of, uh, tells us how legalistic we are. They love that term legalistic. And yes, there is a, a form of legalism. We know that that uh, Jesus dealt with that problem when he was on this earth uh, where they, you know, strained, at the, strained out the gnat and swallowed the camel, so to speak, where they had all these regulations that were added to the laws of God but to keep the law of god to keep the 10 commandments to keep god's holy days is not legalistic i mean one could keep those things in a legalistic way but uh this this is not legalism here this is what god wants us to do and yet the world laughs at us or ridicules us or accuses us again of being legalistic or old covenant they have various ways of, of framing it but uh this is the way things are now it says in verse 11 that, that some, it says, Nevertheless, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. So there was always a remnant, a certain number of people that actually did obey God in spite of what was happening all around them. So these were people from the house of Israel who came down to keep it. It says, Also the hand of God was on Judah to give them singleness of heart to obey the command. So the house of Judah did observe the Passover. They came up to the Passover. They came to keep the days of unleavened bread. But it was only a few of the house of Israel that did so. Now let's pick it up a little bit later. Uh, Verse 13, well, just the next verse here, he says, And many people of very great assembly... Uh, gathered at Jerusalem to keep the Feast of unleavened bread in the second month, so they not only kept the Passover but the Feast of unleavened bread a month later. Now, this is the first time that we read of that part of it, but we know in this particular case that that God was pleased with what happened here because this is spoken always in a very profitable way, and so judgments sometimes have to be made, and uh, Hezekiah in this particular case, recognized that there was a second Passover and uh, apparently instituted a second uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread in this particular case because they hadn't been keeping these feasts uh, the way that they should. Uh, Some people may have been keeping them privately or whatever, but to come up to Jerusalem in this way uh, hadn't been done. And so uh, they were very joyful as they they kept this uh, festival. Verse 21 says, The children of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Eternal day by day, singing to the Eternal, accompanied by loud instruments. And Hezekiah gave encouragement to all the Levites who taught the good knowledge of the Eternal, uh, and they ate throughout the uh, feast seven days. And they offered up these offerings and they made confession to the God of Israel or the Lord God of their fathers. Then verse 23, the whole assembly agreed to keep the feast another seven days. And they kept it another seven days with gladness. Now, there's no precedent for this previous this time, obviously precedent, that's what it means. There was nothing happened like this previously that we're ever aware of. But the sense is that they were trying to keep God's festivals, and it seems that God was very pleased and smiling upon them in this particular situation. It was a, a once-in-a-lifetime, once so to speak, once, maybe once-ever time. Uh, but the, the sense is that this was a very positive thing. They wanted to obey God. They were going to keep two, uh, two weeks of unleavened bread. Uh, putting out sin, and that particular time they had plenty of sin to put out, as it were, so this was a time of restoration and Hezekiah has gone down in history as is a king a uh, king of Judah who restored the true worship of god, and we see that in a very positive way now furthermore, he set other things in order uh, when we look at the 20, uh, 32nd, uh, thirty second thirty let 's see the thirty first chapter. And verse 3, he says, Hezekiah appointed the division of the priests, the Levites, according to their division, each man according to his service, for the priests and Levites, uh, for burnt offerings and peace offerings, to serve, to give thanks, and to praise in the gates and the camp uh, of the Eternal. And then verse 6, it says, And the children of Israel and Judah, who dwelt in the cities of Judah, brought the tithe of oxen and sheep, and the tithe of the holy things, uh, which were consecrated the eternal their God, and they laid them in heaps. In the third month, which is the Feast of Pentecost, that's when they began laying them up in heaps, and they finished in the seventh month. That's the Feast of uh, Trumpets, the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles, and the Last Great Day. And we see here when we read all of this that they, they not only kept the Passover and Unleavened Bread, but they kept all the rest of the feast. They all came together there. Now, the interesting part in this, what I find is as much of the interesting part in this, is the actual timing of how this worked out uh, there 's a, a, a big story here that sometimes is missed because we don 't look at when exactly this was and what occurred right after this time uh, let 's go to the back in, in verse three of chapter twenty nine Remember, we emphasized that it was the first year of hezekiah 's reign, and it was the first month uh, the first month of the Hebrew calendar there. but it was during the first year of his reign that he began to set things in order now, back in second King's the eighteenth chapter, second King's eighteen we 'll find out how his reign corresponded to the reign of the king of the house of Israel. So here in chapter 18 of 2 Kings, verse 1, it says, Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, uh, king of Judah, began to reign. So Hezekiah began to reign during the third year of Hoshea, king of Israel. Notice verse 9. It says here, now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah. So this was three plus years, uh, three years and some months uh, after he had restored the uh, Passover and Days of Unleavened Bread and began to restore the, the other days for the uh, house of Judah and for those of the house of Israel who were willing to come up. It says, in the fourth year of King Hezekiah... Uh, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria, against the the capital of the uh, house of Israel, or that that region there, Samaria being the, the whole region, uh, named after their, their capital, and he came up there uh, at this time, and and at the end of three years they took it. It was the sixth year of Hezekiah, verse ten. That is, the ninth year of Hosea, king of Israel, Samaria, was taken. So, let's just kind of summarize something here. The children of Israel, all the children of Israel had gone astray. They were keeping the statutes of the house of Israel, even the Jews. Then Hezekiah comes along, and he's a strong leader. And he whips the people into shape. He brings the Levites and the priests. He calls them together and says, we need to clean up the temple. And they get it cleaned up, but it's too late for the Passover that year, so they keep it a month later. But he sends out messengers throughout all of Judah and Israel. And the Jews came up to keep the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The overwhelming majority of the house of Israel just ridiculed the runners, the the messengers that came out there to, to call them to worship God at Jerusalem. And what we find here is that within a period of 5 years the house of israel goes into captivity and yet the house of judah when you read the whole story you find that god miraculously preserved them under hezekiah god performed a great miracle there to preserve them in 2nd uh, chronicles the uh, 30 Uh, second chapter you can read that and see how he preserved them and they continued for another 120 years and so this time of restoration for Judah preserved them helped them to continue now they got away from it uh, after Hezekiah and then we find that God used another strong leader to bring them back but the house of Israel that just ridiculed God's festivals the keeping of them Within five years, they're in captivity. It's amazing how, how fast these things happen and how, uh, you know, how, how uh, important God's festivals are. Now, after Hezekiah, again, they, they turned away from God, from God's commandments. They turned away from keeping his festivals and they turned back to idolatry. A man by the name of Manasseh, he was a king of Judah, uh, reigned for 55 years, and he was one of the very worst of the kings of Judah. And so for 55 long years, he took them astray. Uh, he was followed by Ammon for two more years of evil rule. And then came a young king by the name of Josiah. Uh, we read of him in Second Chronicles, the 34th chapter. Second Chronicles 34. And we'll begin in verse 1. He was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. Now, obviously, at the age of eight, he didn't just reign on his own. He had uh, uh, someone who, who helped him and everything. But as he grew, and when he got to the place where he was able to make decisions that that uh, he could enforce, he was old enough and mature enough to be able to make certain decisions, he did. And he saw, he was able to look at the history, and he, he was able to see what happened to the house of Israel, and what happened it was happening with his nation, and how it was going downhill. And so it says, uh, in the eighth year of his reign, verse 3, while he was still young, so he was only 16 now, he began to seek the God of his father David. And in the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. You know, it's interesting. He was 16 years of age when he began to seek God. And that reminds me of my own life because that's when God began to work with me. I'm just a you know carnal kid out there and stayed that way for a while. But nevertheless, uh, God uh, got my attention. He showed me at the age of 16 and I began to uh, go in this direction. And it was not always easy, and I'm sure that uh, for Josiah, that it was not always easy to go in a different direction from his peers and everybody else around him. But uh, as he, he grew closer to God, he began to make certain decisions. Uh, we'll notice here in the 34th chapter, uh, verse 8. It says, "In the 18th year of his reign." So that means that he was 26 years of age, a young man really coming into his own at that point in time. When he had purged the land of the temple, he sent Shaphan, the son of Azaliah, and, and these various other individuals to repair the house of so the eternal as God. And then let's pick it up in chapter 35, verse 1 says, Now Josiah kept a Passover to the eternal in Jerusalem, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the first month. So as he is bringing the house of Judah back to God, first of all, he began to get his life in order. He began to learn about God, and he began to clean up the temple. And now we find that here is another great Passover in the history of Judah and Israel. But specifically, Judah at this time, because Israel's is out of the picture. They're already in captivity. But this was a, a great Passover that we read of here. And among the Jews, this, is, this was an important time of restoring the worship of the true God in the right way. Notice down in verse 17, it says here that uh, the children of Israel, speaking of the Jews, uh, who were present, kept the feast at that time. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days. There had been no Passover kept in Israel like that since the days of Samuel the prophet. So this was an even greater Passover than what was done under Hezekiah. And we just saw how how wonderful that was. It says, And none of the kings of Israel had kept such a Passover as Josiah kept, with the priests and the Levites and all Judah and Israel, who were present and the inhabitants of Jerusalem." In the 18th year of the reign of Josiah, this Passover was kept. Now, I know that we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles, or we should be, because that's where we are. But the point is that even the the, the Passover season, as we see here, was a time of restoring the truth. And when they kept the Passover, they obviously kept the Feast of Tabernacles as well. They kept all of the feast days, but they started out with, with that at the beginning of the year, in both these, in the case of Hezekiah and Josiah. But these were times of great restoration. And because of Josiah's humble and teachable attitude and devotion to God, God postponed Judah's captivity for another 16 years. But as was the case, you know, they fell into sin once again. Uh, a last time ran out for Judah, as well as it had for the house of Israel, and because of her sins, she too went into captivity. Now, 70 years pass, and God then begins to bring the Jews back from captivity. We read of the decree of Cyrus in Ezra, the first chapter, the first five verses, where he made a proclamation for the Jews to return to Jerusalem to build the temple. This was around 536 B.C. Uh, it could be one year one way or the other, but about 536, uh, he, when the Jews actually made the return, the proclamations made a little bit before that, and then they, they uh, made preparations. And in the, the second and third chapters, we read of the numbers of Jews that came back to Jerusalem that was in uh, shambles and rubble and uh, destroyed the temple and everything else, the walls of the city broken down, they came back uh, to Jerusalem to build the temple. And in the third chapter of Ezra, uh, we see that when they got back there, that they started keeping God's festivals once again. In Ezra 3, in verse 1, when the seventh month had come, and the children of Israel and the cities, the people gathered together as one man to Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Josedek and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, arose and built the altar of God, uh, the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they didn't even have the temple built yet, but they built an altar, and they began sacrificing to God. It says in verse 4, They also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written. And then we read in verse 6, it says, From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Eternal. Now, the first day of the seventh month is the Feast of Trumpets. So they began offering sacrifices to God on that day, and we read here that they also kept the Feast of Tabernacles, so we can be certain that they kept the Day of Atonement in between there. God doesn't give us every detail, but we can read between the lines, we can recognize the intent of what they were doing here. And so as they come back to Jerusalem before the temple is built, one of the very first things they did was to set up an altar and to worship God on the days that they were to worship Him. The Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of Tabernacles, and obviously the uh, the Last Great Day and the Day of Atonement were, were thrown in there as well. Now, shortly after these events, opposition began to set in and the Jews who were sent back to do the work of God, which was to build the temple at that time, uh, they, they began to get away from it because opposition had set in. We read of that in the fourth chapter, how the the people of the uh, the surrounding uh, the, the surrounding peoples, uh, the Samaritans, as they became known in the the New Testament, there uh, ha- had begun to persecute them. They wanted to take over the temple. They wanted to help them build, and then then it would have been their temple as well. And when they were rebuffed, they set up counselors, uh, attorneys, lawyers, to put it in our modern uh, vernacular, and they began to send messages back to Cyrus and various uh, authorities, and they slowed the building of the temple to the point that the people just gave up doing what they were supposed to do. And then... As we see here at the end of the fourth chapter, that he uh, says in verse 23, when the copy of the king Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehom... Um, uh, let's see, I, I, I'm... I'm, I'm should skip over that. Let, let's go to um, verse 24. It says, "Thus the work." Of, this is where we should pick it up in the proper context. Verse 24 it says, "Thus the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, ceased, and it was discontinued until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia." So it ceased until about the uh, around 520 BC. And then it says in chapter five, verse one. Then the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophets, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who were over them. And so then they began to uh, uh, build again the the temple uh, that they were supposed to. You can read the story in uh, the book of Haggai and in Zechariah how they said, "Look, you, you 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 go out and you work and, and you put all this." Uh, uh wheat into to uh, a bushel basket and it just kind of flows out the bottom as it were, figuratively speaking. It's like putting water in a bucket with the holes in it. It's not working because you're not doing what God told you to do. You should be building the temple. And these prophets set them back on track. Now let's see what happens here. Uh, let's go to the sixth chapter in verse 15. says, Now the temple was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, which was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. So this was about 515 B.C. And the children of Israel and the priests and Levites and the rest of the descendants of the captivity celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. And it describes that. Then in verse 19 it says, And the descendants of the captivity kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month. For the priests and Levites had purified themselves, Uh, all of them were ritually clean, and they slaughtered the Passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity, for their brethren, the priests, and for themselves. And so they had great rejoicing there. And then verse 22, they kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Eternal made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them. So now, again, they are—they kind of had a, a mini uh, drifting away from God. It was pretty significant in the sense that they stopped building the temple. But now they build the temple, they cleanse themselves, and they keep the Passover once again. So we see, again, a certain restoration of the true worship of God that had taken place at that time. Now, we can go another 70 years, approximately, into the future, and we find that the nation had been drifting away from God. Uh, we see that drift as it re- is recorded in the book of Malachi. And we also read in the book of Nehemiah, the first chapter, that the, the city was still in shambles. Uh, there was much that was wrong there. And the spiritual condition of the Jews is found, as I said, in the book of Malachi. They had ceased to honor God with the best with their best efforts. Uh, they were offering blind and lame animals on the altar. So, yes, they were offering sacrifices. They were no doubt keeping the feast to some degree, at least some of the people were. Uh, they were saying, oh, what a weariness it is to serve the Lord. So they were, in a sense, serving God, but they were saying how, how much of a, a burden it was, how weary it was to serve the Lord. A- and they were stealing from God by not tithing. We read that there. And they were experts in the art of cynicism. These were things that, uh, that were occurring. This was the attitude. This was the frame of mind. Because when you read the book of Haggai, Haggai said, look, you build the temple and the Messiah will come. And they didn't understand it was going to take a little bit of time, like uh, several hundred years before the Messiah would actually come to that temple. But when he didn't come immediately, uh, when their idea of, of Haggai's prophecies failed, not that Haggai's prophecies failed, but in their minds it had, they began to drift away from God again. And so Nehemiah comes on the scene, and he, around 4, uh, 444, uh, he comes back, they, they build the wall of Jerusalem, and what, again, do they do? What do we find, again, in this restoration of the true worship of God? Well, the seventh chapter of Nehemiah, we read here in verse 73, the very last verse of, of Nehemiah 7, says, "...the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the Nethanim and all of Israel, dwelt in their cities," all of the Jews, that part of Israel, when the seventh month came, this is the time of trumpets, atonement, tabernacles, and last great day. It says, When the seventh month came, the children of Israel were in their cities. Chapter 8, verse 1, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women, And all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Trumpets. And then he read from it in the open square from morning until midday uh, before the men and women and those uh, who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. So Ezra the scribe stood on a platform of wood, which had been made for this purpose. So he was a little bit above, so he could see the people and they could see him. And it mentions the names of the, uh, the individuals that were there with him. Verse 5, he opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord God of uh, the Lord, the eternal, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while he lifted up his hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the eternal with their faces to the ground. And then it mentions these other individuals, uh, the Levites, who helped the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So as they stood there, uh, Ezra and, and the Levites and priests stood up and they read from the law of God, and they gave it sense, just as we're doing here. We, we explain what is going on, and they made sense of it there for the people. And then it says here, in verse 9, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites, who taught the people, told them that this day is holy to the eternal your God. Do not mourn nor weep, for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. He said, no, this, this is a time of rejoicing. This is the feast. But they they were weeping because they had not heard these words. These were new words to them. They had drifted that far away from God uh, again. And he said to them, "'Go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the eternal is your strength.' So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, "'Be still, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved.' And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions and rejoice greatly because they understood the words that were declared to them. Now it says, on the second day, the heads of the fathers' houses of all the people with the priests and Levites were gathered to Ezra the scribe in order to understand the, word of, the words of the law. And they found written in the law which the Eternal had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths during the Feast of the seventh month or temporary dwellings." So this seems to be new knowledge to them. They had drifted again so far from God that they'd forgotten these things. A generation had gone by, 70 years. And so we read here that they were to keep the feast and as we read it there, the remainder of this chapter, you can read it. Perhaps it's already been read in another sermon during this time. But in verse 18, it says also, Day by day, from the first day unto the last day of this Feast of Tabernacles, he read from the book of the law of God, and they kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a sacred assembly according to the prescribed manner. So now again, they keep this... Uh, the feast in a, in a special way. And day by day, sometimes people ask, well, why do we have to have services every day? It just says the first day and the last day that we're supposed to have a holy convocation. And, and and we say, well, it's tradition. They say, well, what, what, you know, just because tradition, does that mean it's right? Well, the tradition goes, tradition goes all the way back to the time of Ezra and Nehemiah. You see, from day to day, during that time, they read from the book of the law. And that's what we do. That's why we have a service every single day during the Feast of Tabernacles. And we have two because the first day and the last day, last great day, are special days. And so we have two on those days, I guess three on the first day, because we have the evening and then the two on the first day. These are special days. And they go back there. So every time Israel begins to get back on track we find associated with it these special feast days. Now, if we look historically, we find that one of the the great controversies of the first few centuries was called the Quartadeciman controversy, whether the church should keep a celebration called Ishtar or Easter, or whether the church should keep the Passover on the 14th day, Quartadeciman, 14th day, of the first months we 're speaking historically after the time of the, the crucifixion and resurrection, and so we find that an apostasy set in toward the latter part of that first century, and one of the things that was happening was that the uh, the, the church uh, when we say church' uh, you use that in a very broad context here, began to drift away from keeping God's festivals as they should be kept and began to introduce other festivals and that took, quote, Christianity down a very different path. And the true Christians continued to keep the feast, uh, the Passover at the right time and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles and and so forth. Then we find as we go down through history that uh, while the feasts were kept at different times down through history, we find that they got away from them. And so when Mr. Herbert Armstrong came on the scene, we find that much of the Church of God's Seventh Day, uh, not the Seventh-day Adventist, but the Church of God's Seventh Day that he found out certain uh, truths from, through his wife from and began to associate with, uh, that they weren't keeping these days. And so he and his wife kept these days, not knowing why they should keep them other than the fact that God said to keep them. And as he studied these days, on the days that he was keeping, as he studied unleavened bread, every place in the Bible that spoke of unleavened bread, he began to see the meaning of it. And the same thing with all the other feast days. And so we take for granted today uh, what God used him to uh, introduce to the church, which is the restoring of God's festivals. Now, come down after his death, what do we find? we find that the church again goes into apostasy and as it goes into apostasy they begin to change from god's festivals to other festivals they forsook the sabbath that was one of that was kind of the the really the shot heard around the world i mean we had plenty of evidence before that but when the sabbath was being ridiculed in a 3 hour sermon and people somewhat ridiculed for keeping the sabbath and so forth uh that, that was a Sabbath, and then you knew, you, you just knew that the rest of the days would go with it. And sure enough, they threw out all of God's holy days. And you should be able to, to figure out, if you knew anything about history, it was very obvious that sooner or later they would go back to keeping Christmas and Easter and all the rest of the pagan holidays. And it, it, it's either or. It's either God's way or the ways of this world. And when you forsake God's way, you know that people are going to keep the other way. And so the very large uh, apostasy took place at that time when they forsook the feasts of God. Now, you know, there's one more time of, of great restoration that is coming. And we read of that in Zechariah the 14th chapter. And this is after the return of Jesus Christ. In fact, it is just at the return of Jesus Christ when he defeats all of his enemies. And I know we're all familiar with this passage, but it's such a a wonderful passage. Uh, No doubt will be read more than one occasion during this feast. But, It says in verse 16, And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And and Christ is so intent on them keeping these days that it says, It shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. And specifically, he mentions the family of Egypt because, you see, they've got some crow to swallow. They've got, and it's going to go down with, you know, with hanging on with claws. It's going to be very difficult because they have hated the Jews so much down through history, especially in in our modern world here. And uh, they're going to be told, come up and keep the feast. And so it says that the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in. They shall have no rain. They shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So once again, and this will be the greatest restoration of the worship of the true God and the true way to worship God Once again, we find God's festivals uh, being mentioned here. That one of the very first acts of the Messiah when he comes back is going to be the institution of the Feast of Tabernacles. And that's because this feast pictures his reign, the thousand-year reign. And so we find this consistency here that when people go into apostasy, they forsake God's holy days. When a strong leader rises up and turns people back to God, he does it does so through his festivals. It's an amazing thing. But when you think about it, the reason that the festivals are used, because the festivals portray God's plan of salvation, beginning with Passover, picturing Christ's sacrifice on our behalf our coming out of sin our repentance the receiving of god's holy spirit so that christ can live his life through us and that we have those fruits of the way he would do things and we picture christ coming in the day of uh, trumpets and then the day of atonement how satan must be put away and then this wonderful thousand-year reign which is pictured by this great feast of tabernacles And the last great day, which is is so fabulous to think of all of our relatives, all of our friends, and all the people who have ever died having their opportunity to, to really understand these things and to keep these days. You know, for some of us who have kept the feast a long time, we don't find it burdensome. As I said, this is my 48th feast, my wife 51, and we love these festivals. This is what we we look forward to all year round. We look forward to the Passover, the Days of Unleavened Bread and, and, and Pentecost and the fall festivals. These are, are wonderful days. We love the fellowship with, with God's people, the knowledge that we learn here, the reminders that we must have to stay on track. And God has used these days to restore his truths. Today we've seen how the rejection of God's festival, his festivals, and the substitution of man-made feasts started the house of Israel off on the wrong track, a track from which they never recovered. We've also seen that right before the fall of the house of Israel, there was an opportunity to get back to God. There was a time of restoration that took place in Judah. But the house of Israel rejected that call to restoration. They mocked Hezekiah's invitation to keep the Passover and the Days of Unleavened Bread. And within three or four years, Israel was besieged. And in seven years, they were no longer a nation. On the other hand, God intervened for Judah, and it continued for another 120 plus years time and again by the leadership of of Hezekiah, Josiah, Zerubbabel, Ezra, Nehemiah and on down to more modern times to Mr. Armstrong and and uh, Mr. Meredith standing up to uh, keep these these things in order uh, time and time again we see that the children of Israel were brought back to the true worship of God through his annual Sabbaths. And time again, time and again, people have turned away or drifted away from God and drifted away from his festivals. In a few years, Jesus Christ is going to send out a call for nations all over this world, all the nations of this world. And he's going to send out runners as it was, as Hezekiah did. But he's going to send out a call, not literal runners, but figuratively speaking, he's going to send out a call for nations to send representatives up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles, and they won't be able to ignore this call. They may laugh the first year, but the second year, the third year, they're going to stop laughing, and they're going to learn what it means to, to keep God's festivals, and they are eventually going to come up And they will then understand them and begin to rejoice. And as they come up to Jerusalem, they will learn God's laws, His ways, and His wonderful plan of salvation for mankind.